Case Two: Ancient Sorceries, Part Five, of John Silence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. John Silence by Algernon Blackwood. Case Two: Ancient Sorceries, Part Five. For a long time, Vezin leant there against the wall, alone with his surging thoughts and emotions. He understood at length that he had done the one thing necessary to call down upon him the whole force of this ancient past. For in those passionate kisses he had acknowledged the tie of olden days and had revived it, and the memory of that soft, impalpable caress in the darkness of the inn corridor came back to him with a shudder. The girl had first mastered him, and then led him to the one act that was necessary for her purpose. He had been waylaid after the lapse of centuries, caught and conquered. Dimly he realized this and sought to make plans for his escape, but for the moment, at any rate, he was powerless to manage his thoughts or will, for the sweet fantastic madness of the whole adventure mounted to his brain like a spell, and he gloried in the feeling that he was utterly enchanted and moving in a world so much larger and wilder than the one he had ever been accustomed to. The moon, pale and enormous, was just rising over the sea-like plain, when at last he rose to go. Her slanting rays drew all the houses into new perspective, so that their roofs, already glistening with dew, seemed to stretch much higher into the sky than usual, and their gables and quaint old towers lay far away in its purple reaches. The cathedral appeared unreal in a silver mist. He moved softly, keeping to the shadows, but the streets were all deserted and very silent. The doors were closed, the shutters fastened. Not a soul was astir. The hush of night lay over everything. It was like a town of the dead, a churchyard with gigantic and grotesque tombstones. Wondering where all the busy life of the day had so utterly disappeared to, he made his way to a back door that entered the inn by means of the stables, thinking thus to reach his room unobserved. He reached the courtyard safely and crossed it by keeping close to the shadow of the wall. He sidled down it, mincing along on tiptoe, just as the old men did when they entered the salle à manger. He was horrified to find himself doing this instinctively. A strange impulse came to him, catching him somehow in the center of his body, an impulse to drop upon all fours and run swiftly and silently. He glanced upwards, and the idea came to him to leap up upon the windowsill overhead instead of going round by the stairs. This occurred to him as the easiest and most natural way. It was like the beginning of some horrible transformation of himself into something else. He was fearfully strung up. The moon was higher now, and the shadows very dark along the side of the street where he moved. He kept among the deepest of them, and reached the porch with the glass doors. But here there was light, and the inmates, unfortunately, were still about. Hoping to slip across the hall unobserved and reach the stairs, he opened the door carefully and stole in. Then he saw that the hall was not empty. A large dark thing lay against the wall on his left. At first he thought it must be household articles. Then it moved, and he thought it was an immense cat, distorted in some way by the play of light and shadow. Then it rose straight up before him, and he saw that it was the proprietress. What she had been doing in this position he could only venture a dreadful guess. But the moment she stood up and faced him, he was aware of some terrible dignity clothing her about that instantly recalled the girl's strange saying that she was a queen. 
Huge and sinister, she stood there under the little oil lamp, alone with him in the empty hall, awe stirred in his heart, and the roots of some ancient fear. He felt that he must bow to her and make some kind of obeisance. The impulse was fierce and irresistible, as of long habit. He glanced quickly about him. There was no one there. Then he deliberately inclined his head toward her. He bowed. Enfin. Monsieur, c'est donc décidé. C'est bien alors. Je ne suis content. Her words came to him sonorously, as through a great open space. Then the great figure came suddenly across the flagged hall at him and seized his trembling hands. Some overpowering force moved with her and caught him. On pourrait faire un petit tour ensemble, n'est-ce pas? Nous y allons cette nuit et y faire s'exercer un peu d'avance pour cela. Il sait, il sait, viens dans ici, viens vite. And she whirled him round in the opening steps of some dance that seemed oddly and horribly familiar. They made no sound on the stones, this strangely assorted couple. It was all soft and stealthy, and presently, when the air seemed to thicken like smoke, and a red glare as of flame shot through it, he was aware that someone else had joined them, and that his hand the mother had released was now tightly held by the daughter. Ilse had come in to answer to the call, and he saw her with leaves of vervain twined in her dark hair, clothed in tattered vestiges of some curious garment, beautiful as the night, and horribly, odiously, loathsomely seductive. "'To the Sabbath! To the Sabbath!' they cried. "'On to the witch's Sabbath!' Up and down that narrow hall they danced, the women on each side of him, to the wildest measure he had ever imagined, yet which he dimly, dreadfully remembered, till the lamp on the wall flickered and went out, and they were left in total darkness, and the devil woke in his heart with a thousand vile suggestions and made him afraid. Suddenly they released his hands, and he heard the voice of the mother cry that it was time and they must go. Which way they went he did not pause to see. He only realized that he was free and he blundered through the darkness till he found the stairs, and then tore up them to his room as though all hell was at his heels. He flung himself on the sofa, with his face in his hands, and groaned. Swiftly reviewing a dozen ways of immediate escape, all equally impossible, he finally decided that the only thing to do for the moment was to sit quiet and wait. He must see what was going to happen. At least in the privacy of his own bedroom he would be fairly safe. The door was locked. He crossed over and softly opened the window which gave upon the courtyard, and also permitted a partial view of the hall through the glass doors. As he did so, the hum and murmur of a great activity reached his ears from the streets beyond, the sound of footsteps and voices muffled by distance. He leaned out cautiously and listened. The moonlight was clear and strong now, but his own window was in shadow, the silver disc being still behind the house. It came to him irresistibly that the inhabitants of the town, who a little while before had all been invisible behind closed doors, were now issuing forth, busy upon some secret and unholy errand. He listened intently. At first everything about him was silent, but soon he became aware of movements going on in the house itself. Rustlings and cheepings came to him across that still moonlit yard. A concourse of living beings sent the hum of their activity into the night. Things were on the move everywhere. A biting, pungent odor rose through the air, coming he knew not whence. Presently his eyes became glued to the windows of the opposite wall, where the moonlight fell in a soft blaze. The roof overhead and behind him 
was reflected clearly in the panes of glass, and he saw the outlines of dark bodies moving with long footsteps over the tiles and along the coping. They passed swiftly and silently, shaped like immense cats in an endless procession across the pictured glass, and then appeared to leap down to a lower level where he lost sight of them. He just caught the soft thudding of their leaps. Sometimes their shadows fell upon the white wall opposite, and then he could not make out whether they were the shadows of human beings or of cats. They seemed to change swiftly from one to the other. The transformation looked horribly real, for they leaped like human beings, yet changed swiftly in the air immediately afterwards, and dropped like animals. The yard, too, beneath him, was now alive with the creeping movements of dark forms all stealthily drawing towards the porch with the glass doors. They kept so closely to the wall that he could not determine their actual shape but when he saw that they passed on to the great congregation that was gathering in the hall, he understood that these were the creatures whose leaping shadows he had first seen reflected in the window panes opposite. They were coming from all parts of the town, reaching the appointed meeting place across the roofs and tiles, and springing from level to level till they came to the yard. Then a new sound caught his ear, and he saw that the windows all about him were being softly opened, and that to each window came a face. A moment later, figures began dropping hurriedly down into the yard, and these figures, as they lowered themselves down from the windows, were human, he saw, but once safely in the yard, they fell upon all fours and changed in the swiftest possible second into cats, huge, silent cats. They ran in streams to join the main body in the hall beyond. So after all, the rooms in the house had not been empty and unoccupied. Moreover, what he saw no longer filled him with amazement, for he remembered it all. It was familiar. It had all happened before just so, hundreds of times, and he himself had taken part in it and known the wild madness of it all. The outline of the old building changed. The yard grew larger, and he seemed to be staring down upon it from a much greater height through smoky vapors. And as he looked, half remembering, the old pains of long ago, fierce and sweet, furiously assailed him and the blood stirred horribly as he heard the call of the dance again in his heart, and tasted the ancient magic of Ilse whirling by his side. Suddenly he started back. A great lithe cat had leaped softly up from the shadows below onto the sill close to his face, and was staring fixedly at him with the eyes of a human. Come, it seemed to say, come with us to the dance. Change as of old. Transform yourself swiftly and come. Only too well he understood the creature's soundless call. It was gone again in a flash, with scarcely a sound of its padded feet on the stones, and then others dropped by the score down the side of the house, past his very eyes, all changing as they fell, and darting away rapidly, softly, towards the gathering point. And again he felt the dreadful desire to do likewise, to murmur the old incantation, and then drop upon hands and knees, and run swiftly for the flying great leap into the air. Oh, how the passion of it rose within him like a flood, twisting his very entrails, sending his heart's desire flaming forth into the night for the old, old dance of the sorcerers at the witches' Sabbath. The whirl of the stars was about him. Once more he met the magic of the moon. The power of the wind, rushing from precipice and forest, leaping from cliff to cliff across the valleys, tore him away. He heard the cries of the dancers and their wild laughter and with this savage girl in his embrace he danced furiously about the dim throne 
where sat the figure with the scepter of majesty. Then suddenly all became hushed and still, and the fever died down a little in his heart. The calm moonlight flooded a courtyard empty and deserted. They had started. The procession was off into the sky, and he was left behind, alone. Vezin tiptoed softly across the room and unlocked the door. The murmur from the streets, growing momentarily as he advanced, met his ears. He made his way with the utmost caution down the corridor. At the head of the stairs he paused and listened. Below him, the hall where they had gathered was dark and still, but through open doors and windows on the far side of the building came the sound of a great throng moving farther and farther into the distance. He made his way down the creaking wooden stairs, dreading yet longing to meet some straggler who should point the way, but finding no one, across the dark hall, so lately thronged with living moving things, and out through the open front doors into the street. He could not believe that he was really left behind, really forgotten, that he had been purposely permitted to escape. It perplexed him. Nervously he peered about him, and up and down the street, then seeing nothing, advanced slowly down the pavement. The whole town, as he went, showed itself empty and deserted, as though a great wind had blown everything alive out of it. The doors and windows of the houses stood open to the night. Nothing stirred. Moonlight and silence lay over all. The night lay about him like a cloak. The air, soft and cool, caressed his cheek like the touch of a great furry paw. He gained confidence and began to walk quickly, though still keeping to the shadowed side. Nowhere could he discover the faintest sign of the great unholy exodus he knew had just taken place. The moon sailed high over all in a sky cloudless and serene. Hardly realizing where he was going, he crossed the open marketplace, and so came to the ramparts, whence he knew a pathway descended to the high road, and along which he could make good his escape to one of the other little towns that lay to the northward, and so to the railway. But first he paused, and gazed out, over the scene at his feet where the great plain lay like a silver map of some dream country. The still beauty of it entered his heart, increasing his sense of bewilderment and unreality. No air stirred. The leaves of the plane trees stood motionless. The near details were defined with the sharpness of day against dark shadows, and in the distance the fields and woods melted away into haze and shimmering mistiness. But the breath caught in his throat, and he stood stock still as though transfixed, when his gaze passed from the horizon and fell upon the near prospect in the depth of the valley at his feet. The whole lower slopes of the hill that lay hid from the brightness of the moon were aglow, and through the glare he saw countless moving forms, shifting thick and fast between the openings of the trees, while overhead, like leaves driven by the wind, he discerned flying shapes that hovered darkly one moment against the sky, and then settled down with cries and weird singing through the branches into the region that was aflame. Spellbound, he stood and stared for a time that he could not measure, and then, moved by one of the terrible impulses that seemed to control the whole adventure, he climbed swiftly upon the top of the broad coping, and balanced a moment where the valley gaped at his feet. But in that very instant, as he stood hovering, a sudden movement among the shadows of the houses caught his eye, and he turned to see the outline of a large animal dart swiftly across the open space behind him, and land with a flying leap upon the top of the wall a little lower down. It ran like the wind to his feet, and then rose up beside him upon the ramparts. A shiver seemed to run through the moonlight, and his sight trembled for a second. His heart pulsed fearfully. 
Ilse stood beside him, peering into his face. Some dark substance, he saw, stained the girl's face and skin, shining in the moonlight as she stretched her hands towards him. She was dressed in wretchedly tattered garments that yet became her mightily. Rue and Vervain twined about her temples. Her eyes glittered with unholy light. He only just controlled the wild impulse to take her in his arms and leap with her from their giddy perch into the valley below. "'See,' she cried, pointing with an arm on which the rags fluttered in the rising wind towards the forest aglow in the distance. "'See where they await us? The woods are alive. Already the great ones are there, and the dance will soon begin. The salve is here. Anoint yourself and come.' Though a moment before the sky was clear and cloudless, yet even while she spoke the face of the moon grew dark, and the wind began to toss in the crest of the plane trees at his feet. Stray gusts brought the sounds of a hoarse singing and crying from the lower slopes of the hill, and the pungent odor he had already noticed about the courtyard of the inn rose about him in the air. "'Transform! Transform!' she cried again, her voice rising like a song. "'Rub well your skin before you fly. Come! Come with me to the Sabbath, to the moment of its furious delight, to the sweet abandonment of its evil worship. See, the great ones are there, and the terrible sacraments prepared. The throne is occupied. Anoint and come, anoint and come. She grew to the height of a tree beside him, leaping upon the wall with flaming eyes and hair strewn upon the night. He too began to change swiftly. Her hands touched the skin of his face and neck, streaking him with the burning salve that sent the old magic into his blood with the power before which fades all that is good. A wild roar came up to his ears from the heart of the wood, and the girl, when she heard it, leaped upon the wall in the frenzy of her wicked joy. "'Satan is here!' she screamed, rushing upon him and striving to draw him with her to the edge of the wall. "'Satan has come! The sacraments call us! Come, with your dear apostate soul, and we will worship and dance till the moon dies and the world is forgotten!' Just saving himself from the dreadful plunge, Vezin struggled to release himself from her grasp while the passion tore at his reins and all but mastered him. He shrieked aloud, not knowing what he said, and then he shrieked again. It was the old impulses, the old awful habits instinctively finding voice. For though it seemed to him that he merely shrieked nonsense, the words he uttered really had meaning in them and were intelligible. It was the ancient call, and it was heard below. It was answered. The wind whistled at the skirts of his coat as the air round him darkened with many flying forms crowding upward out of the valley. The crying of hoarse voices smote upon his ears, coming closer. Strokes of wind buffeted him, tearing him this way and that along the crumbling top of the stone wall, and Ilse clung to him with her long, shining arms, smooth and bare, holding him fast about the neck. But not Ilse alone, for a dozen of them surrounded him, dropping out of the air. The pungent odor of the anointed bodies stifled him, exciting him to the old madness of the Sabbath the dance of the witches and sorcerers doing honor to the personified evil of the world. "'Anoint and away! Anoint and away!' they cried in wild chorus about him. "'To the dance that never dies! To the sweet and fearful fantasy of evil!' Another moment, and he would have yielded and gone, for his will turned soft and the flood of passionate memory all but overwhelmed him, when, so can a small thing, after the whole course of an adventure, he caught his foot upon a loose stone on the edge of the wall, and then fell with a sudden crash onto the ground below. But he fell towards the houses, in the open space of dust and cobblestones, 
and fortunately not into the gaping depth of the valley on the other side. And they, too, came in a tumbling heap about him, like flies upon a piece of food, but as they fell, he was released for a moment from the power of their touch, and in that brief moment of freedom there flashed into his mind the sudden intuition that saved him. Before he could regain his feet, he saw them scrabbling awkwardly back upon the wall, as though bat-like they could fly only by dropping from a height, and had no hold upon him in the open. Then seeing them perched there in a row like cats upon a roof, all dark and singularly shapeless, their eyes like lamps, the sudden memory came back to him of Ilse's terror at the sight of fire. Quick as a flash he found his matches and lit the dead leaves that lay under the wall. Dry and withered, they caught fire at once, and the wind carried the flame in a long line down the length of the wall, licking upwards as it ran, and with shrieks and wailings the crowded row of forms upon the top melted away into the air on the other side, and were gone with a great rush and whirring of their bodies down into the heart of the haunted valley, leaving Vezin breathless and shaken in the middle of the deserted ground. Ilse, he called feebly, Ilse, for his heart ached to think that she was really gone to the great dance without him, and that he had lost the opportunity of its fearful joy. Yet at the same time his relief was so great, and he was so dazed and troubled in mind with the whole thing, that he hardly knew what he was saying, and only cried aloud in the fierce storm of his emotion. The fire under the wall ran its course, and the moonlight came out again, soft and clear, from its temporary eclipse. With one last shuddering look at the ruined ramparts, and a feeling of horrid wonder for the haunted valley below, where the shapes still crowded and flew, he turned his face toward the town, and slowly made his way in the direction of the hotel. And as he went, a great wailing of cries and a sound of howling followed him from the gleaming forest below, growing fainter and fainter with a burst of wind as he disappeared between the houses. End of Case 2 Part 5